Editor's note, this podcast has been cancelled. Please visit historyhoneys.podbean.com for more. Hello and welcome to History Homies, the show where two homies talk about history. Joining me today is my eternal homie, Medibot. It's me, Medibot. Welcome to the show, Medibot. It's good this to is be our here, first Ix. episode. Um, it's very unfortunately timed uh, because our, well, I would uh, I would have said friend before now, but after a betrayal like this, kind of just colleague Ironicus started a podcast called History Hone, Hun, Honey. I can't even say it. History Honeys. I after, do not speak its lame. Name, yeah, seriously. Like after allowed. hearing us after hearing us talk about this podcast idea for nigh on thirty years. You know, decades. Yeah, at least. Yeah, it's been a lot of research, getting into the real history of the world, and then he just like introduces this thing that's just like, oh, history, All history, right. homies. That's a good name. What if I just chopped one of the lines off the letter M? That's extremely inconsiderate to the letter M. I'll have you know. Yeah, the letter M. I don't really want to talk about what that did to the letter M. It's a little it's depressing. So this this episode goes out to the letter M. This Wherever you are, we hope you're safe. It's for you, letter M. All right. So, Medibot, would you like to dis- would you like to introduce our first topic of the evening? All right. Well, um, something that I actually only recently learned about was that um, you know, David Bowie's well-known song "Suffragette City." Um, in addition to being an excellent piece of music, in fact, uh, the, the song was inspired by a real place that was built during the suffragette movement that was used as a sort of mobile center of operations for the suffragettes. Now, when you first told me about this, uh, the word that most intrigued me was mobile. Uh, how exactly was their operation center mobile? Uh, well, um, a lot of it was, I guess, you know, mobile is a little bit generous, especially by today's standards. Um, but around the border, they attached a series of around uh, 13 to 15 inch uh, metal casters. Oh, um, I see. And so the interior was would simply drag along the ground. Okay, um, yeah. So it okay. did cause a fair amount of, uh, of damage to the terrain that it would go over not that right. you know that stopped them this was a, a fight for civil rights you know yeah but absolutely you, you, I, ima- I imagine it took a lot of repair and infrastructure work to maintain especially the center of suffragette city since it was constantly dragging along the ground oh certainly um, what materials did they use in the construction of suffragette city um although in the sort of original version of it it was largely uh, cedar and pine oh interesting however as the movement went on and the city grew um they slowly had to replace more parts with uh with hard ceramics where they needed uh better heat insulation um some parts using corrugated uh sheet metal in fact just for a stronger structural support that and so absolutely in the center uh where the damage to the sort of floor the ground of the mobile city would be the highest that's where a lot of their um were expensive and more durable building materials were used. Oh, 
I think it really worked out for them, just from an aesthetic point of view. I'm looking at some pictures um, that, unfortunately, I can't link with the podcast because the original sources have been taken down by the feds of Suffragette City. And the painted ceramic is really something to behold. It's honestly... Like, you wouldn't expect ceramic on for an entire 12-square-mile city to be so well-glazed and painted, but it's really beautiful. So the, the suffragettes who were tasked with maintaining the city took their jobs very seriously. They understood that, you know, before any, any other people had a chance to talk to a suffragette, their first impression would be based the on ceramic. sight. It would be right. the city that they see, so they knew that that had to make a strong impression uh, for them to have a chance of their political movement gaining any traction. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how Suffragette City led to led to it being such a successful movement. As we all know, um, it's completely fucking ridiculous that women didn't have the right to vote in the first place. Absolutely um, preposterous. Yeah, yeah, very stupid. I, th- I believe that was actually what was painted around the circumference of the city was an enormous, enormous block lettering was a variety of statements on how just absolutely bizarre and awful it was. Um, and I think that was really went a long way in convincing people that, oh, yeah, uh, good point. Yes. You know, tying back to what I was saying about people's first impression of the political movement being based on their viewing of the city as it rolled over a hill uh, in the sunrise into view. Um, so the the slogans, messages, and other artwork that would be around the exterior of the city, uh, it uh, it cycled fairly often. They'd have different uh, different members of the movement having a turn to you know take a block of the wall to paint, but the theme of uh, all this art remained uh, remained constant throughout the movement um, of the of the city. Yeah. You know, I think the most interesting thing to me about the history of Suffragette City is that um, it happened entirely in one day. It happened right at the very tail end of the Suffragette movement, and truth be told, the majority of the... The, the success of the movement is not due to Suffragette City. Suffragette City would have certainly sealed the deal, but from what I read, Suffragette City was actually created a few hours after uh, relevant laws had been passed, which, you know, just goes to show that none of the efforts of the Suffragettes that came before Suffragette City was had gone to waste. In fact, it was completely their success and is probably due to... Uh, probably why Suffragette City just spent a whirlwind day uh, touring the contiguous United States until it eventually settled down and was renamed Detroit. That's exactly right. You know, because, you know, in those days, uh, news didn't travel quite so fast. Um, You know, the suffragettes who were building the city still believed that they had some work to do. They knew they were close, but they were, were hoping that this would really, you know, ensure their success, not knowing on, you know, not learning until hours later that uh, sort of the battle had already been won. But, you know, why why put a good mobile city to waste? Um, you know, they still spread the message. Sp- they That helped spread the news yeah. of the law uh, having been passed. And I think what really goes to help this, it 
What really helps this not be a tale about the folly of how slow newspapers and horses are, and makes it more of a heartwarming story, is the enormous $10 billion that the secret government of the world awarded Suffragette City for its efforts, and just the incredible hard work determination of the Suffragettes, both in the city and without the city, within and without, rather. Um, so... Once again, congratulations to the suffragettes of the early, earlier centuries who are listening to this podcast and uh, to, the, to, to the government of even far, farther back since this podcast is, you know, we're hoping to transmit it back in time. Yes, both, um, both directions in time, we're hoping. Yeah, that's the, goal, that's the goal. We have some theories. But anyway, to the government that is years before the suffragette movement, come on. Just let everybody vote. Come on. Come on. Come what were y'all thinking? What were you... Really? That's really? why? That's your reason? Seriously. All right, try again. This time, give me a good one. Yeah. Well, let's just hope that helps. So, right. enjoy the works of David Bowie. Enjoy the works of the late, great David Bowie. So, here's my subject for the day. Okay. This is an old favorite of mine ever since I was cursed with the knowledge as a child, and I haven't been free from the knowledge ever since. Oh, cursed knowledge. Yeah, the only way to release myself from this curse, as you know, because I revealed the curse to you, thus cursing you and freeing myself, yep. is to reveal yep. the knowledge to somebody else. Right, and so this will help me transfer the curse away from myself. Yeah, so you had the bright idea after two days of wailing and trying to attack me. Of just, you know, telling everybody so that we would both be free and everybody else would be cursed. Right, which is really right. the ideal state of things. Certainly. So anyway, on to the curse itself. Um, well, it's pretty simple. Geese are named after the spruce goose and not vice versa. That's the basics of it. That's the basics. Is that the, the, the bird we call collectively the goose, geese? The geese. Um, we're named, we're the, the singular, the goose was named after the spruce goose. The spruce goose predates uh, any English name for that bird. That's correct. And, well, I certainly hope you turned off the podcast before we told you that. Yep. If you heard us say that, boy howdy, are you in some trouble. But I guess if you did hear that, then you might as well stick around and listen to us explain just how and why that happened. Because it really is a funny story. Your so, day's about to get a lot worse, though. Yeah, you'll need the little bit of humor that this is going to provide. So, geese. Goose. The very first question that comes to mind is, why do those sound so different? Geese and goose. I mean, geese it's not and meese and moose. And as it turns out, the reason why it's not meese and moose is because the geese won. They triumphed over the mooses and stripped the title of meese from them. And the early humans, so Which inspired is, by this, yeah. or perhaps so terrified by this, um, started telling tale of the spruce goose. And now I bet you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, that goes against what the thing you just said, where geese are named after the spruce goose. Well, as we just said earlier, time travel's real. So, we're at the dawn of human history. Tales of the spruce goose, the leader of the race of geese who stripped the title from the Mies, is resounding throughout human history. You can see legends of it cropping up everywhere, though, of course, due to time travel, most of those instances have been replaced with 
uh, names of other legendary birds like the Rock, um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, um, let's see, Batista. Um, what are some other legendary birds? Help me out here. Legendary birds. Um, Hulk Hogan, that's a good one. Hulk Hogan, Batman. Ba- yeah, Batman, that's a pretty huge one. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of thing has happened. And eventually humanity's fear, or perhaps hubris, got the better of them, and we created a, there, our own spruce goose. And, well, to protect humanity, the idea was put forth that the spruce goose never actually made it off the ground. And, boy, I would have been so much happier with my life if I had just blithely continued believing that. Because I would have never been cursed, Medibot never would have been cursed, and you never would have been cursed. Yeah. But, you know, here we are. Here we are. Uncursed, but you're cursed. Yeah, sorry about that. So the goose... The goose... The power of the legendary spruce goose was too much for the artificial spruce goose. It was thrust back in time. It attempted to rejoin the the originator of its moniker time tried to fold around them and combine them back into one being i want you to just hold on gentle listener and and think about this for a second not only were the geese strong enough to defeat all those moose and if you've ever if you've ever tangled with a moose you know that one moose on its own is no joke yeah they they defeated all of them we're so far down this food chain they defeated all of those moose moose plural yeah, that's why... They're that's also why, just just bending time over itself in order to further cement the, their own power level. Perhaps, I kind of skimmed over this earlier, but they stole the, they stole the name in our language of English because uh, Mies is the name of the old moose hive mind, which was destroyed by the geese. Which is why the geese hive mind is intact with individual gooses, such as the spruce goose, the legendary emperor of the race of geese, and the originator, the container of the hive mind. So, now we're all up to speed on that. Let's get back to time, folding in on itself. and the omega. So, throughout time, throughout time, all these different images, all these different representations of the spruce goose are being folded back into the power of the original spruce goose who luckily for humanity is long dead uh natural causes died surrounded by friends and family beautiful service all it and in an, an incredible time paradox it turns out that all these legends all these drawings they are the spruce goose itself because time folds those down into a singular perfect goose being that leads the race of gooses as they were known back then to victory so that they could become the geese. So in memory of the great spruce goose, geese are sworn to attack anybody who knows the truth about the spruce goose in the hopes that the knowledge in your brain to will travel back in time with your defeats not your physical defeat your mental defeat they want you to they want to wear you down to nothing so that the ad- idea of the spruce goose in your mind can travel back in time and rejoin the great spruce goose in the hopes that they can rewrite history that the spruce goose will become powerful more powerful with your the tiny fragment of the spruce goose in your head because the knowledge is equivalent to the original that that'll help it become strong enough to survive to the present day. 
So the curse is, I guess, less a curse and more a pretty clever ongoing military campaign to bolster past forces. It's a pretty good trick. Does that all make sense? Because should I? It's kind of hard to explain. But the key points are knowing about the spruce representations or knowledge of the spruce goose is the original spruce goose in limited form. And the power of the spruce goose, goose, excuse me, is so great that time folds in on itself and recombines them into the original. So it's a paradox. And the spruce goose that never left the ground was, of course, it triggered all this because it was, you know, such a big, powerful representation. It was actually going to fly. No representation of the spruce goose in history before that had. And that was just too much for, that was just too powerful for time to withstand. Right. So eventually enough of the future will occur that the past spruce goose will become powerful enough to alter the future. Yeah, to eat time entirely. So. With all its rows of teeth along its tongue. Now you understand. So, many bombs. Now the geese are going to come after you. Yeah, don't don't worry about it. Just don't let it get you down because then they win. So, many bot. Let's let's bring things back to the lighter side. Right. With a trip to Currency Corner. Ah, Currency Corner. Currency Corner. What's in the Currency Corner today, Medibot? All right, let me uh just dig through these things over here in the corner. All right, got uh, got some. You mail. really got to organize the Currency Corner. Oh no, it wouldn't be the Currency Corner if I ah. Here we go. I have in my hand the infrequently seen. 25 Liberty Note. Ah, interesting. A $25 bill, you say? Uh, not dollar. Liberty. Uh? Yeah, it turns out that, uh, originally, um, there were sort of two simultaneous currencies existing, uh, in the United States. There actually were, were quite a few. Um, you know, after no longer using British currency, each of the, uh, states in this new union sort of had their, their own banknotes, that they issued, but eventually they, or I should say they rather quickly, uh, not, a, not eventually at all, uh, they rather quickly coalesced into two main currencies, the U.S. dollar and the U.S. liberty. Interesting. The, the dollar is the one that survives to this day, um, but there are still some liberties that can be found uh, in private collections and museums. Interesting. How can I differentiate between a dollar and a liberty if I was to open my wallet and saw one of each? Okay. Well, the first thing to know about is that there were no uh, coins printed, or minted, I should say, of liberties. Uh, And this was perhaps one of its biggest reasons for being ultimately unsuccessful, is that it did require the uh, U.S. dollar smaller currency denominations as a supplement, but there were only bills printed, uh, these banknotes for the U.S. liberty. Um, so if it's a coin, it's not a liberty. Uh, but the other it's way you can... It's also not I- a dollar, I'd like to point out. That's true, it is, but it is a fraction of one. Yes. It's not a fraction of a liberty. Um, but the denominations of liberties were actually designed by uh, Benjamin Franklin, the uh, founding father and uh, general... Spruce Goose worshipper? No, well, you know, I said founding father and you just repeat me. Um, but the denominations of the liberties follow a 
a slightly different pattern than those of the U.S. dollar. Uh, the denominations, uh, you know, starting with one, we have one, two, five, ten. So so far we're so far going so like good. The, yeah, I'm on uh, board. Then twenty-five. Ah, uh? fifty. Okay, I'm back. Uh, fo- what do you think comes after fifty? Well, it would have to be something logical, like one uh, hundred. Right, it's something logical, like one hundred twenty-five. Oh, fuck. And two hundred fifty. Uh, two hundred fifty being the largest denomination. Um, in in circulation, although there are rumors that historians simply have not yet discovered the 625 Liberty Bill. Um, but it, it was based off of powers of five and their doubles. Okay, so if it's a coin, it's a dollar or a fraction. And if it's, say, a 25 or a 125, it's definitely a Liberty. Yep. But what if I have, like, a five or a 10? How can I tell the difference? All right. Well, as I said, Benjamin Franklin was the uh, originator and main supporter of the Liberty currency. And as a result, um, he designed all of the, all of the bills for these currencies. So since he got to call all the shots, um, the people who appear on these denominations are a little bit different. Although confusingly, the One Liberty Bill also has George Washington on it. Okay, I'm with you so far. But as soon as we get away, you know, other than that one coincidence, because you know, George Washington, you know, pretty, pretty much guy. everyone wants to be friends with that guy. Literal giant, you know. Yeah. He was stomping around outside 24 right, 7. You know. It was hard not to think about him when you were drawing the one of your currency. So on the two. I almost said $1. But that wouldn't be accurate. Yeah, it wouldn't. On the two. On the two. On the two Liberty Bill. On the twos. On the two Liberty Bill. um, He had uh, John Adams, a good friend of his. Sure. On the five, he put himself. That figures. On the ten, there was two of him side by side. Okay. Is it the same drawing copy pasted? Or no, is, no, are they a little different. They're, they're clearly looking at each other with slightly different facial expressions. Okay, I like that. That's kind of like Dada currency. I, I'm a fan. The 25 uh, was uh, Benjamin Franklin's wife. Okay. Uh, Alice Franklin. On the 50 was a picture of Ben and Alice actually kissing each other on the oh, 50. interesting. You know, uh, I, I, I was kind of expecting, like, a picture on the 50. I was expecting, uh, like, one... Let's see here. There would be one Alice, two Benjamins, and a John Adams just, like, kind of hanging out, having a kegger. But maybe they just couldn't fit all that, so they just narrowed it down to them kissing. Uh, John Adams, uh, the main reason why he appears on the two is because, actually, uh, ben, Benjamin Franklin owed him a favor oh, at I the see. time of these decisions. Otherwise, he likely would not have appeared. On the 125... Um, actually, it sort of starts getting weird here. There are now those two Benjamin Franklins from the Ten are both kissing Alice. Okay. One on this, each cheek. He learned a lot in France. Yeah. Uh, 250, um, I don't think we can talk about if we want this podcast to get listed. I mean, I, we already talked about the Spruce Goose. It's true, but that... Hmm. That's like as as not safe for work as you can get That's because true. it literally ends your life. Uh, the two fifty. Let's you know. I don't want to describe this in in too much 
graphic detail, but let's just say you had the right idea when you were mentioning uh, things that Benjamin Franklin learned in France. Okay. Baking? Among other talents. Sewing? Singing, maybe? What if I you told know, you, you know, that... You know, silver tongue and all. Was, was he using his of, silver tongue on the bill? It was. Alright, well, now, now that you've gone and already figured it all out, there's one <laughs> Benjamin Franklin baking, okay. one Benjamin Franklin sewing, okay, one Benjamin is, Franklin hang on, singing... Hang on, hang on. Are the Benjamin Franklins arranged in a circle so that the one baking is having is serving the pie to the one singing, and the one sewing is sewing the one baking's shirt, and so on? Uh, not quite. They're, in fact, all um, sort of orbiting uh, Alice Franklin and okay. sort of all performing or giving uh, to her. Oh, I see. Um, wow, he really liked Alice. Right. So historians speculate that um, he was actually having a lot of trouble designing the Liberty Currencies and you know, really needed to do so quickly in order to have a chance of competing with the dollar and that his wife helped him greatly in this task and as a result oh, he was more than happy to uh that explains this statement uh that benjamin franklin gave after after the introduction of the liberty ah. uh, let's see here he said no those aren't the right drawings those were private i sent them to the printer by accident get back here stop shut down this printing press shut it down stop stop now Wow. Wise words from a wise man. What? You know, we can, from that we can easily tell why he was so fundamental Corpulent. in the founding of, uh, of these great United States of America. Well, thank you for inviting us to the Currency Corner. Currency Corner! Clean it up. By next week, okay? I can't... How do you yeah. find anything in this? Eventually. The Liberty was just on top. I saw it. Yeah, because I put it there on top because I knew I'd need it. You gave me notes for the Colorado Dinglehopper. I gave you, you lots of notes. Yeah. You gave me... I'm going to be honest. I don't read... I don't read any of these notes. That's fair. I don't write any of them. Money, 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 money. Fricker. Okay, great. Now that that's settled, let's move on to the reader mail portion. All right, we've got some mail. From, I'd uh, like to stress that we only take mail from those who read the podcast. Yes. Those who read the 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 what's the word when someone writes down with the audiobook, the anti the reverse audiobook, the transcription reverse audiobook version of the podcast. So if you started listening, I'm sorry, you've been disqualified from sending in emails. We can tell. Don't even try. But, Don't even try. So here are some, we have two emails today. Uh, I picked out one and Medibot picked out the other. Um, and they're from our beloved readers. And, you know, fuck our listeners. Just our, love our readers. So I'll, I'll introduce our first one. Uh, this one is just a reader who was inquiring about South South America, because, of course, I mentioned it in passing in episode 283, a uh, live broadcast from the future, which is how I know it's going to work out. Right, so, so uh, South South America, also known as Souther America, 
Yeah. Um, is actually there's a very curious continent um, because it's geographically identical to South America. It's just in a different place on the globe. It was actually very difficult for people to make maps of the world until we had copy paste technology. Because mm. then we could just kind of just take South America and plop it back down over there where South South America is. It's very handy. Yeah. So uh, the the climate is is also exactly identical. Yes, All exactly the identical, despite yeah. the um, difference in latitude. Yeah, just frankly, storms just kind of blow out as soon as they get there. Um, unless they are, or, you know, blowing over on the real South America. Well, I shouldn't say real. That's rude. On, on the northern South, Ameri- South America. On the northern South America. Thank you. In which they will just, you know, appear identically on South South America. So really not much is known about South South America. Uh, voyages to get there just end up on South America. Um, it's... We really have no idea what it is or where it came from, what it means for the world, what horrible ritual could have summoned or created it, or possibly what blessed ritual could have summoned or created it. We really just don't know. It's it's really hard to make those kinds of judgments about uh, South South America, like you said, uh, because most of you know our body of knowledge, if we can even call it that, is based on you know very loosely proven conjecture about the relationship between South America and South South America. Yeah. One, I think one of the most cognizant, one of the most well-realized arguments about South South America I've ever heard um, comes, someone, comes, comes from one Stanley Peanut. And Mr. Peanut says, it's just South America. South South America isn't real. You know, that's, that's a popular line of argument among many scholars, although uh, there is significant uh, anecdotal evidence to the contrary, and so it remains controversial among geographers and cartographers to this I, day. I believe one of the chief arguments of the opposing body of thought is, yeah, but what if? Mm, yes. The, uh, you know, that... The, uh, the line of thought of, you know, that the South South America is, even if it is entirely within our minds, our minds are real and therefore it exists without our minds, therefore we can travel to South South America. Yeah. You know, the optimism is why I come to this podcast. So, I'm sorry we couldn't say more about South South America, um, but, you know, anecdotally... Um, there's also Smouth America. Ah, Smouth America. Which is Smash Mouth's continent. Yes, discovered by Smash Mouth while they were on tour. Yeah, on their on tour after uh, Shrek 3, um, evidence all over, uh, geological evidence, <laughs> geological evidence pointed out that it must be very, very new indeed, uh, dated to the release date of Shrek 3. And... Archaeologically, civilizations that are now extinct, of course, because it was destroyed with Smash Mouth 4, or excuse me, Shrek 4, Smash Mouth 4 is the secret name, um, tragically destroyed. But anyway, at the time, both geological and archaeological evidence that it was created right when Smash Mouth 3, see, I'm doing it again. You're doing it again. Oh boy. Anyway, there was like a whole civilization that lasted like three hours. Although, uh, fortunately, when, you know, even though the continent was destroyed, um, you know, divers that are excavating the ruins were able to determine a lot about 
that short-lived civilization, um, they have managed to establish that it is that the continent of uh, of South America uh, canonically exists in the Shrek continuity and, by extension, the Sonic the Hedgehog continuity. Oh, interesting! I hadn't actually heard about that. What what what's some of the evidence that points to that? Um, well, um, what the one of the 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 main discovery that almost instantly got everyone to uh, to believe in you know South America, it, you know being part of the Shrek continuity, is that a uh, flash, uh, sort of fossilized, um, sort of petrified wood uh, of Shrek's hut was found uh, buried under some rubble, and by doing some analysis of the uh, undersea. Uh, undersea rock down there, they were able to determine that before sinking, the land around it was likely a swamp. Oh, interesting. Oh, you know, I just thought of something. I, I was playing through Sonic 2006 the other day, the only game in the Sonic series. Yeah. And I noticed in the background of one level, there was an enormous continent that if you got to a certain vantage point in the level, you could look down at the entirety of it, and you could see that scrawled upon it and enormous Comic Sans were the letters Smouth America. There you go. I'm surprised I never put that together before. But, well, I mean, people aren't often thinking about Smouth America, uh, you know, the Smash Mouth continent that existed for only a couple of hours. Um, you know, usually yes, when people think about... Shrek 4 was released hours after Shrek 3, as we all know. Yes. That, that studio was really working overtime. Yeah. But usually when people are Rest thinking about Smash Mouth, they think less about their uh, geographic discoveries and more about their uh, hit album, uh, Fushu Mang. Um, and never, then all those other things they did. I've never listened to any of their music. I would... I've listened to all their music. Well, twice. thanks for that email, reader. Thanks for that email. Medibot, what email Reader. did you pick out this week? All right, let's see. Let me let me get it off the old uh, printing the press. Old da- Daisy wheel over here. Daisy wheel. All right, uh, we have something from it's from from Arthur Saint Whiskey. Hey, that's uh, who sent my email too. Uh, hold up. <laughs> oh, fan favorite. I mean, there well, I guess uh, favorite fan is more accurate. Fan go. favorite fan. Everyone's fan favorite fan, Arthur. This one is it appears to be hastily handwritten and sort of sort of smudged a bit. Hope, Calm uh, down, hope Arthur. Arthur's, hope Arthur's doing okay. Uh, Arthur Shout writes, out to what, Arthur. what happened to the eighth color with robots on Mars within the cave patrol and dogs? Oh, interesting. It's very, very interesting that Arthur provided those seemingly disconnected elements in a in a in a ridiculous list and uh, is uh, asking us to connect the dots. So right. well, fortunately, I I always got perfect grades on connect the dots in grade school. Oh, I I didn't. It's all right. I can teach you. Regardless, okay. so eighth color robots on Mars, cave patrol dogs. Yes. So the what happened to the eighth color? Right, because they there used to be um, up until around. Mid 1700s, uh, eight colors in the rainbow. What if you ever see uh, any photographs from back then? You'll see all eight colors um, yeah. in the rainbow. Clearly, there was no so, limitation on lens technology that would have prevented that. Right, 
And so the question is, what happened to it? You know, why why are records of it so sparse? I remember I remember hearing. I hate to dip back into time travel. You know, we get into it every episode, but I hear that it actually happened in the future, and so it doesn't happen in the present. That's from my basic understanding. Excuse me for butting in. Right. So the the eighth color um, was used in order to, um, you know, there was you know originally on Mars. You know, although we have found. Only minimal evidence of uh, biological life on Mars. Uh, there were originally teeming amounts of mechanical life. Yeah, absolutely. On Mars, to which you belong, actually. Uh, I'm related. Yeah, well, descended. I, I'm only a quarter of Mars robot. On my, we don't need to get onto which side. Yeah, it would take a while. Okay, so right, so. And there was this thriving robot population. Right, robot, Mars robots, yes. Everybody knows this. Um, and so when um, when humans from Earth, not Mars, uh, began to explore Mars, um, and the robots, not understanding who these, uh, who these strange creatures were uh, coming to the planet, um, you know, they retreated into subterranean caves, which is why when humans originally landed on Mars... Uh, they could not find any evidence of life there because the robots moved, you know, everything they had on the surface underground. It's interesting to note that the first robots that humans sent to Mars uh, were totally in on it, which is why they transmitted back images of, you know, deserts. Right, right. Those were all simulated images provided by the robots. Yeah, the Martian to- robots were like, come on, dude, be cool. And the Earth robots were like, okay, you got, you got it. You got it. You know, the, the, the Mars robots, you know, didn't sought to avoid conflict. And so they hoped that if they simply transmitted images of a barren wasteland, that our curiosity would be sated and we would you know, move on to whatever the next planet is. However, it was quite the opposite. Because seeing humans love waste- beaches. Seeing a barren wasteland, we wanted to, uh, you know, build a few shopping malls there. Yeah. Uh, maybe some luxury apartments. Uh, so we, Sent our, sent our brave, uh, you know, retail developers and landscapers there to Mars, and told everyone they were astronauts as usual. Yep. Same thing has will happened to the moon. That's correct. So they began to build on the moon, but eventually they ran into some of the motion robot cave patrols. Um, the motion robot cave patrols tried to simply frighten. The uh, frighten the humans off by making scary noises and emitting uh, spooky light patterns. Uh, however, this simply enraged the uh, land developers, and they said, they brought get their, off my lawn. Right. They they brought their dogs into the motion caves in order to attack the robots and uh, motions. Uh, my descendants. The motions, having absolutely no understanding of what a dog is, uh, were easily defeated by the Earth canine forces, eventually pushed back to the motion core, um, where their, their leaders, you know, tried to make one last stand, having finally understood that the dogs could sort of be, be handled by, um, with compliments and treats. Um, they would generally cease their attack. Uh, however, um, the 
landscapers had accounted for this and took with them the eighth color of the rainbow and used it to seal the Martian robots inside the core of Mars. Yeah, so there so you have it. A, a no further explanation needed, really. Perfect sphere inside the very center of Mars that emits light of the eighth color of the rainbow, and that's the only remaining source of that color in the universe. We had to use it all up, unfortunately. We had to use it all up it's so inter- that we could build in- more stores on Mars. Yeah, and there they will stand to this... Well, not this day, but they will. They will stand to a day. They will stand to a day on Mars. On and Mars. it's an interesting... I, I just want to interject and state that, uh, of course, the developers originally got the idea for using the eighth color because of Dog's inability to see the eighth color. So originally they were just like, let's just paint a bunch of walls the eighth color so that the dogs stop going to visit the Martians because this is really not going our way. And then a Mr. Stanley Peanuts had the bright, bright idea to use all the color. Peanuts again. What do you mean? Well, he also did that other thing. No, that was Stanley Peanut. My mistake. Yeah, I I mean, this is a professional podcast. I'd thank you to keep the currency cl- corner clean and keep your peanuts straight. Well, and there's nothing that, straight about any of these peanuts. There's nothing straight about peanuts. And with that classic closeout line, bye. Goodbye. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs>